Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. We're going to take a moment and <clears throat> look at First Timothy chapter 4. It is one chapter in a singular book that we've been spending the last several weeks studying. This book's written about 64 AD, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to what he calls his son in the faith. It's a young man named Timothy. And Timothy had traveled with Paul for at least a decade, and they traveled throughout the Roman Empire and Paul would plant churches and Timothy assisted and he watched and he learned. And then it came time when it was the moment when they had to leave Ephesus where Paul looked at Timothy and he said, Timothy, you're not coming with me this time. You travel with me for a decade, but I think you're ready. And you need to stay here in Ephesus. And what had happened in Ephesus is Paul spent almost three years of his life there. And it's a really important city in the Greco-Roman world. It's the third largest, somewhere between a half a million and three quarters of a million people live in this city. And it is a deeply spiritual city. They have this long history with the Greek and Roman gods, but in particular, they are the epicenter in the Roman world for the worship of the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana. And in their city is one of the seven great wonders of the world. It's the temple of Artemis. And so this deeply religious city, over the period of time that Paul was there, people began to say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. And so this fledgling church has emerged. But as you can imagine, they bring with them all the baggage of what it meant to be an Ephesian. They bring all their religious ideology and they, they want to follow Jesus. And so it's pretty messy. And Paul leaves Timothy behind. And Timothy is just at the point of wanting to throw in the towel twice already. He said, do not quit. I need you to keep going. And in chapter four, here's how I'd like you to kind of think about what Paul's going to say. It's the words of a spiritual father to a spiritual son. One who isn't sure that he can make it and one who is facing criticism and scrutiny of his life and it's making Timothy feel horribly inadequate and Paul says things to him to have the potential to change his life. I, I, I don't know what kind of spiritual parent you've had. I would imagine that some of us have been fairly independent but some of us would say, man, I would... I would have loved to have Paul as my spiritual dad. Wouldn't that be nice, right? The Apostle Paul who knows what makes me tick and he knows my vulnerabilities and he writes me letters to encourage me. If you are spiritually unresolved or you're brand new in your faith, here's one thing that I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you find someone, a woman, a man, who has been around and they're gonna be horribly imperfect, but they're gonna know some things about God that you don't know yet. And they're going to take you under their wing and they're going to walk you forward. And then for people who have been around for a while, if you're a veteran, I pray that God puts people into your life and you can function like Paul did to Timothy. 
where those moments where they're discouraged and when they're stuck, you get to whisper in their ears something that's true about God that they need to hear. So as we read this, here's what I'd love for you to do. Think of a spiritual parent speaking these words over you in a moment when you're so stretched and so tested that you don't know if you even wanna keep going. So 1 Timothy chapter four, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna break it into sections because Paul kind of has four distinct things that he says to Timothy. And we'll read the first section, then I'll pause and we'll talk a little bit about it and then we'll move on. Chapter four, verse one, the spirit clearly says that in latter times, biblical writers use this term latter times for anything after Jesus. After Jesus resurrected, they call that latter times. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Whew, there's an opening. Paul says this to me, you have got to be cognizant. You've got to be aware that in these days, the spirit has already warned us that there is demonic teaching that will emerge and it will infiltrate its way into the church. So what is the nature of that demonic teaching, right? And how does it get there? Well, here's what Paul says, he goes on. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars. So he's gonna set it up, he's saying, here's the challenge though, it's demonic teaching, but the conduit for this teaching are human beings who might seem very, very religious, but they're hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So it's this imagery saying this, that these are religious people who are gonna teach these demonic things, but they have been doing this for so long that they're no longer open to God's correction. It's like their conscience, their ability to hear God say, no, that's not true. It's been seared through constant heat and pressure. And so they no longer are even in touch with the message of what Jesus really came to say and do. And here's, okay, here's the nature of their demonic teaching. Like you and I might think, oh, demonic teaching, which is like kill your neighbor's cat, eat three gallons of ice cream, read more Stephen King novels, things like that. Well, look at what the demonic teaching is. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. How in the world is that demonic teaching? We've got to explore that. Sam, you can't eat those foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So he's saying that marriage, food, God created those things as a beautiful blessing in your life. And somebody else is telling you, demonically influenced, you can't eat that, you can't get married. What is going on here by those who believe and who know the truth? For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated, meaning made holy by the word of God and prayer. So Paul says this, like what God has out there, this beautiful world, when people, when we're filled with gratitude, when we realize that God's our provider, it's all holy to me. I can eat that. So what is going on here in this passage? Here's point number one, deception is real. Paul tells Timothy, you have got to know this, that there is a very real deception that is happening and it happens within the church and it happens even to godly people. And here's the nature of this deception. It is the implementation of law 
upon the message of grace. What do I mean by that? So here's what Paul taught Timothy. Timothy, you are saved by grace and grace alone. There is nothing that you can do to earn your relationship with God, to earn more favor with God. This is not a merit-based system that what happened upon the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus dealt for once and all with with the issue of sin. Like it is over. And here's what has happened and here's what Paul is desperately concerned for, is that there are people who they don't know it, but they're being influenced by forces from the abyss of hell that say this, you know what? Yeah, yeah, cross, that's all great, but you need to perform better. You, you need to do more and you need to try harder if you really want God to love you. That grace is great, but it's up to you to be more ethical and more moral and to earn more and more of God's favor. And here's what Paul says, that my friends is straight from hell. That it is up to me to save myself. That I have to earn God's favor because Paul emphatically tells us that the favor of God is given free. It's a gift. And it's not up to me. And here's what has happened within the Christian church for thousands of years, is that we're amazed by grace. We're amazed that God would love me before I changed anything, that the cross was for me, that he died with me in mind, that his resurrection resurrects me. And we receive that as a gift. But then the, we get into it and here's this, this old thinking comes in, this religious thinking like, wow, I'm really grateful for that. But I think if I do more and I try harder, I could even earn more of God's favor and kindness in my life. There's this dependency, my moral performance could appease God's wrath and God's anger. And Paul says, don't go that way. So in in Corinth, excuse me, in Ephesus, in part, this is what is happening. Um, Remember the temple to the goddess Artemis. Well, all of Artemis' priestesses were women. We've covered that. And they were all single. They're all single. The minute you were married, you were no longer qualified to be a priestess of the goddess Artemis. Because in in Ephesus, this is what they believed. This self-denial of things like marriage and children and all of that was the highest form of religious like sincerity. Like, here's what I do. If you really, really love God, then you'll, you'll you like deny yourself any of those things that I, 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 by my choice of staying single, I like, that makes me more holy to God. And this is now infiltrating into the Christian church. And there are probably former priestesses of Artemis. There's other people in the church. And this is just culturally what they've always learned that if you're really serious about God, make sure you don't ever get married. It's all about your self-denial. You deny yourself and God looks upon you with more and more favor. And then there's this whole like superimposing of Old Testament dietary restrictions upon the people in Ephesus. So the Old Testament is clear as you read it. God chooses the Jewish people. And for health reasons, he says, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to eat bacon. 
and we're not going to eat pork anyway and shellfish. And there are all these dietary restrictions upon the Jewish people. And now when you have Jewish people who are also following Jesus, they, they, they just have this mentality like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the cross was enough. Jesus was, he loves me as I am, but I think I could get even closer. I think I could earn something if I kept denying myself certain foods and, and like really gave more effort, do more, try harder. And then, then I'll be in better standing with God. And Paul says, the minute, the minute that you begin to abandon salvation is a gift and grace in its purity. You've begun to listen to something that is straight from hell. You have superimposed onto the gospel of grace, religious performance. And he says, you cannot do that. Deception is real. And here's what I know. I know that for all of us, there is a spiritual insecurity where there is a constant nudging in my life. And I'd imagine in your life to begin to think that, oh, man, what happened last week is embarrassing. And here's what I'll do. I will deny myself. I will do more. I will try harder. I'm trying to earn myself back into God's favor. And I take it upon myself that I am the one who fixes the problem of sin. And Paul would look at us and he would say, you can't do that. You receive. You accept what Jesus did upon the cross through his life, death, and resurrection is enough, period. You do not add anything onto that. You do not take it into your own hands. You simply receive what he's done. So number one, spiritual father says to his children, deception is real and you need to hold on to the purity of the gospel of grace. Number two, uh, Paul is going to continue down this road and he's going to say, how do you respond? How do you respond and deal with false teaching, this demonic teaching, which is prevalent, right? It's prevalent in our lives, in our churches, in our books, like it's up to us. So let's continue to read 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you point these things out, okay, so you've got to identify it. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, Nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Okay, we're going to have to explore this because Paul's created this tension that you can rest in God's love. That the cross forgives you. And now he's going to use a whole bunch of action-oriented words. I want you to train yourself. I want you to make efforts. What is going on? We'll get to that. For physical training is of some value, right? So who made a commitment at the beginning of January to get in better shape? Three of us, four of us, five of us. Okay, good. And the rest of you is not true because my gym has been crowded. Very, very crowded. So Paul, Paul says he has nothing against that. He says, physical training is of some value. Like this body's a temple. This thing is a gift. We might as well try to be as healthy as we possibly can. Um, that's important. But, but godliness 
which is your spirituality has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So here's what Paul says. You could be in great shape, but I've got terrible news for you. You might as well do it. Stay in good shape, be healthy. One day you're going to wear out, right? You could work out six hours a day and you're still going to die, okay? Maybe you could set it off a few years. He says, here's what I want you to think about when it comes to spiritual training. You're investing in this life, but you're also investing in eternity. Your spiritual development has eternal rewards, unlike your, your physical training. So this life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive. Notice these action-oriented words. We put our back into it because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Uh, this week, I was sitting down talking with Mark Johnson, one of our pastors, just a guy I love and respect. And we're, he said, what are you preaching this weekend? I told him a little bit and he goes, oh man, just like Mark. He goes, I was like 20 some year old guy. I just met Jesus. I was working at a health club and I read that verse about physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is eternal. And he goes, and right there I made a decision. He said, I realized I was working out for two hours a day, working at a health club, and I had this very minimal spiritual training in my life. So he made this decision like 40 years ago, and it, he still st stands by it. I don't train my body before I first train my spirit. And I try to spend as much time training my spirit as I do my body. And I thought, that is a good goal. But the good news is I'm into high intensity workout intervals, which are short workouts, <laughs> right? I, I, want, I want to train my spirit. I want to train my body. And so Paul is saying, what are you going to do when you face this? First, he says, you need to point it out. You need to become an expert in your own heart and your own life. When you realize that this demonic teaching, that Jesus wasn't enough, when it creeps up in your mind, when you're laying in bed at night and you're thinking, man, I just need to do more for God. I need to achieve more. If I could just be more holy when I'm feeling ter terribly inadequate, you need to be able to go, wait a minute. Hey, 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 that is not from Jesus. That is a demonic teaching saying that I'm insufficient and that Jesus is insufficient. I want to point it out. And Paul says, and I don't want you to have anything to do with it. You have to spend your life saying, uh-uh, I'm going to hold on to grace. I'm going to hold on to the cross. This is not about me. This is about him. So point it out. Have nothing to do with it. And think in terms of training versus trying. Let me talk about this for a moment. So Paul urges Timothy, like, I want you to train. I want you to put your back into it. This is why we labor. This is why we strive. But what is happening here, because you've just told them this whole thing's not dependent on you, here's the difference. We can get wrapped up in spiritual trying, trying, which means this. I am trying to earn God's favor. I am trying to earn God's love. And so I think if I could morally, ethically change some things in my life, if I could do more and try harder, then I'll be trying. And let me tell you this. One, we just read that's demonic. Two, is that is exhausting. That is exhausting. What Paul says this. We work really hard, 
but it's because we're training. We're not trying. That when I come to the place where I realize that Jesus is enough, the cross and resurrection, period, suddenly I am throwing my back in it, but it's not because I'm trying to earn God's favor. It's not because I'm trying to pay for my own sin. It's because I am training that I realize once I understand that I am loved, I am accepted, I am forgiven, I enter into a new realm of saying, now all I want to do is be more like him. I want to be transformed. He loves me as this broken, fractured human being. I want to experience healing so that I don't respond the way I've always responded. I want to experience healing so that I can learn to do these impossible things like forgive people who have offended me. I want to experience, I want to train so that I can do the things that he's asked me to do. And training is completely different than trying. Training understands there's incremental steps. And training says, God, okay, here I am. And I need you to transform me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to labor and I'm going to strive. But it's not because I don't think you love me. It's not because I think I need to pay for my sin. I labor and I strive and I train myself. Because this is an eternal return on investment. Because this is about me feeling secure and saying, I want to be more like you. Now, Paul transitions into this next portion, which I'm going to call, write the story, write the story. So here's what we know. We've already read this in the book. Um, There's just a lot of people who are very, very critical of Timothy. They're saying that he's too young. They like really wish that he was more like Paul. He's not like Paul, you know, like who's, who left is this young kid pastor? And he's he just seems to be pretty passive and he doesn't like controversy. And here's what Paul does. He says, I want you to rewrite the story of what's happening in the city of Ephesus. Verse, uh, verse 11, uh, command and teach these things. Don't let anybody look down on you because you were young. Uh, Jen and I left youth ministry to pastor a church really similar to this. We were 33 years old. And um, oh my goodness, I felt so insecure and so young. And like after you teach on a weekend service and somebody comes up and rubs your head and goes, good try, you know, just keep working at it. It'll get better, right? I was like, what are we doing here? I went to a citywide pastor's meeting and uh, the guy that was organizing it saw me. I walked in the room and I'm like, oh my goodness, like these are all, everybody's my parents' age. And the guy who's organizing it comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder and goes, hey, young man, this is for the senior pastors, not the youth pastors. And I'm like, I know. I didn't even argue. I didn't even tell him. I'm like, okay, I'm just taking my Bible and leave. Right? So this verse doesn't mean as much to me as it did back then. But I love, here's what Paul says. I want you to rewrite the story, buddy. Don't make the story about how young and inexperienced you are. Because that, that's what it's everybody out there control the narrative. He, he puts Timothy's reputation back into his own hands. He says, Timothy, you're responsible for your reputation. So don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But set an example. As the young guy, set an example for all the believers 
is speech. Timothy, I want you to speak of people, about people, in a way that is honoring. I want you to speak words of love. I want you to speak words of truth in conduct. Timothy, you are going to have to live your life in this incredibly consistent way. You're gonna to have to actually do the things that you talk about. Set an example in love. Timothy, I want you as a young guy who feels vulnerable and feels alone, I want you to be known by the way that you love people. Set an example and impurity. I want your life, live your life in a way where people, like you disarmed all of their questions. Where somebody's gonna look at you and go, man, this guy, Timothy, when he first came, whew, we were so unsure. Like, Paul, are you serious? This is who you want to be our pastor? But now here's what we've done. We've watched his life. The way he speaks about us and he speaks about God, the way he actually lives his life, the way he loves us and the purity of his life, it's rewritten the narrative. We don't talk about how young he is anymore. We talk about how loving he is. And I just say this, what is your area of vulnerability? Right, age is one thing. But it could be something entirely different. It could be your past, right? And you've got this past that people know about and it follows you. Here's what your father, spiritual father Paul would say to you. Hey, quit whining about it. Here's what I want you to do. Don't let everybody talk to you. Don't let everybody like keep talking about what you used to do and how naughty you were. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to rewrite the story. I want you to love like nobody else loves. I want you to be authentic. I want you to speak words of truth and disarm the critics. You write the story. Don't let the people write the story about who you are. Let there be such profound legitimacy in your life that people have to choose your narrative rather than the one that they had for you. He says, I want you to read the Bible publicly. I want you to just focus on the right things. In the end, he also says, I want, you to, um, I want you to remember the spiritual gift that was put in you. We'll go on and read, read this. Um, Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Really curious, because we don't even know what the gift was. I have a feeling it was not the gift of self-confidence, okay? But whatever the gift is, the gift of being a pastor, leader, I don't know. Do not neglect the gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul is going back in history to some moment that we don't have recorded in the Bible. We're just like these missionaries up here. People surrounded them and prayed for them and spoke truth into their life. He says, Timothy, in all your insecurity, I need you to remember that you have been gifted. This is not about you. This is not about, are you eloquent? Are you confident? You know what this is about? This is about God believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. And God can do things through you because that's what gifting is, is he does things through you that you could never do by yourself. And Timothy, if you just think this, if you think, oh, if I just do more, I try harder, I'll be able to make everything work in the city of Ephesus. Paul says, no. You're going to have to remember that you are gifted by God and God does things that are impossible through people like you. You're gifted. If Paul was your spiritual dad right now, I think he'd look at you and he'd say, do not neglect your gifts. Because it's not about you and how confident you are, or how capable you are. 
It's about a God who does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And you've got to keep feeding that fire. You can't let it go. This week, for those of you who don't live in Montana, we had like, I don't know, it was like 18 below or something at night and our furnace quit. Just like bad, bad timing and it happened at night and you can't call anybody. And man, I'll tell you what, it's the furnace on remodel that we live in. And so it was just our bedroom and mama doesn't like to be cold. She just, she doesn't. So I'm like, I, I messed around with it, couldn't fix it. So I, there's an old fireplace downstairs. And so I started up this wood stove and um, it's hot, it's perfect, it warmed everything up. And then about three in the morning, I woke up and it was, I looked at the thermometer, it's like 51 degrees in the bedroom. And I'm thinking, mama don't want to wake up to 51 degrees, right? <laughs> so in the middle of the night, you get up, you throw more logs on the fire and then throw more logs on the fire. I think that's what spiritual gifts are like. You, you get something from God, everybody. But if I don't exercise them, if I don't nurture them, here's what happens. Those embers grow pretty cold and you just constantly have to be, he wants Timothy to do this. Timothy, remember those gifts? Remember, I think you've forgotten how to use them. It's time to like put some tinder on the fire and start, <laughs> but you've got to get those gifts reignited in your life because you can't do this life by your own. It's completely impossible. Now, the final thing that Paul says to Timothy is keep growing. I need you to keep growing. You cannot plateau. Verse 15 and 16, the last two verses. Be diligent, again, proactive. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, so that everyone may see your progress. I love that. One of our core values here at Faith Chapel is growing people change. The, when Jesus came to planet earth, he didn't just come to give me a ticket into heaven. That's part of what he did. But he came to transform and heal me. He came to restore me. He came to put together the dysfunctional aspects of my life into something more beautiful. So you should see people grow. So let everybody see your progress. And he gives them two warnings. And these are, I think these are two warnings from a spiritual dad to all of us. Watch two things. Watch your life and watch your doctrine really closely. You're responsible for monitoring these things. Your life will be your morality and your ethics. And we know, like, that can take us out. We can make a horrible decision. It takes, you can make a thousand good decisions and make one bad decision. And you're on the front page of the newspaper, Right? He says, Timothy, you need to just constantly be watching your life. And here's the other thing I want you to watch. Watch your doctrine. Your doctrine is what you believe about God. In particular, I think he's referencing back to the first part of the chapter. Watch your doctrine that you don't become religious and think that you're responsible for your salvation. Just keep the purity and the essence of the message of Jesus and of the gospel of grace. Keep that at the forefront. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So this last part, he says, Timothy, this is about you, but this is also about the people around you. So keep growing. Here's what I think is happening. And I think it didn't just happen in 64 AD in Ephesus. I think it happens in the year 2023. Uh, early on in my 
spiritual journey, I think I had this assumption that this is how people grew. It was like, here's time and here's maturity. This is your date of origin when you first become a follower of Jesus. And that you just kind of like kept going and the growth was always up and to the right. I found that doesn't happen either personally or in the lives that I've observed. Sometimes something happens like this. So, you know, I thought that like when I was 85, I would be a fully mature believer. Doesn't always happen. So the problem is I could grow and then I could have some sort of setback like Timothy's happening, experiencing. And uh, I've been there two years, but when I'm 85, because I plateaued, I'm like a two-year-old, 85-year-old. <laughs> Chronologically, I'm 85 years old, but spiritually I'm selfish and I say mine and I mess my pants, okay? <laughs> and... Uh, Paul says, Tim, you just you can't let this happen in your life. Yeah, 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 you're going to get to heaven. Your eternity's dealt with. But there's more than just getting to heaven. There's this thing called transformation. In reality, I think this is how spiritual growth works. And uh, a guy who I really appreciate, Larry Osborne, talks about this. He says, people actually grow spiritually on a need-to-know, need-to-grow basis. Need-to-know, need-to-grow. He says, this is what it really looks like in most of our lives. And I think you'll relate to this. That we start to grow and then something happens. It's like, uh, man, I, I've been following Jesus for two years and I'm really excited about it. And I've been taught and I believe that Jesus is a healer and I believe that I can trust him. And then I get a diagnosis from the doctor that says I have a disease. And I'm like, how could that happen? And so I, I start to pray and I pray and I pray and I trust you, but I'm going to have to go through treatment. And I'm like, how could that happen? And because of this challenge, this resistance, what happens is I just kind of flatten out. Sometimes I can actually move downwards, but I just plateau. You know what the Bible says over and over in the New Testament? It's, it's like you read it and you're like, man, that's weird, sadistic stuff. But the Bible says this, James would be an example. Consider it pure joy, my friends, when trials and tribulations come your way. Who wants to go like, I just got fired, <laughs> right? He says, but here's why you do it. It's because it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance and perseverance leads to character and it continues to go on. It's need to know, need to grow. So here's the impetus for spiritual growth in our life crisis. And Timothy is facing a significant crisis, a crisis of confidence, a crisis of faith, a crisis of doctrine. Now here's what Paul says, Timothy, you have an opportunity ahead of you. And I want you to adopt training, not trying. I want you to invest in your spiritual life because this crisis, you could just survive in Ephesus. But I want to see you spike. I want to see you develop as your spiritual father. I want to see you become the man that I know you can become. I want to see you become more like Jesus. 
And if you listen to your critics out there and you listen to that internal voice that telling you you're too young, you're not enough, you need to be more like Paul, you're gonna flatline. But you need to look at these things and say, here's what I choose in this moment, this strategic moment, I choose to surrender to Jesus. I choose to believe even though my emotions aren't lining up with my belief. I choose the path of character. I choose to set an example to people on how they face tough times. I'm gonna be more loving. I'm gonna be the, the person who lives it out in this moment. He says, that's where spiritual growth happens. You develop. Paul, if he were here and he were our spiritual dad, he'd look at everything you're facing and he'd say, hold on to grace. Jesus is enough. Don't make this a religion about you and your personal achievements and you do more and you try harder. Put your back into it, not because you're trying to earn God's favor, because you are training to be more like him. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.